we've done covers gigs before and they generally pay well um which is nice when you desperately need the money but like the process and the work that go into it when you're actually not a covers band like Mm. We're not a covers band. I get so much like joy and satisfaction out of writing songs and creating music and then just going and playing all of the songs that people really love and enjoy that are so different to what you're creating. And you're like, and everyone's like, oh, you should play these songs because everyone loves them. And you're like, fuck, everyone loves this shit. But like, I, I don't. And if this is what the people want, I'm never going to give the people what they want. So what am I doing, you know? Yeah. But, like, um, I think I just, yeah, I've never been a big, like, learning other people's songs and playing other people's songs. I much prefer, like, my favourite thing about being a musician is being able to, like, play with sounds and create your own sounds and and do, be a songwriter um, so that playing other people's music is a little bit, like uncomfortable or like you just don't get the same satisfaction out of it so I'm rethinking the idea that we could be a covers band part-time well it's because you're an artist and not a musician and not just a musician you're actually an artist yes I think that is true um well that's what I, I hope to be true and I just need to learn that that's okay and I'm never, you know, yeah. I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> BG, we probably started, haven't we? Nah, how did we look? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Everyone say hi to Benji. Kia ora, Benji. Kia ora, Benji. Big Talofa. Do you want to double, just double check it's actually on? Yeah, it's actually if you're hearing it, then it was actually on and he double-checked for no reason, really, if you think about yeah, every it. Every single time. Every single time. But I tell you, there'll be that one time where he doesn't double-check and you won't hear him double-checking it because it would have been off. And that's, yeah. that's the saddest day in podcast history, really. You could have missed something important. Bye, Benji. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm here with uh, Woody Donner. On Harko Meets Humans. I just bumped the microphone. Oh, my God. You fucking amateur. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Podcast newbie over here. Yeah. Yeah. Do you listen to podcasts? I listen to your podcast. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, I've considered listening to my dad wrote a porno and listening to it at work because it's what some of my colleagues have done. Um, but I think that's the extent of my podcast they take up a lot of time you can't it's it's it, it's a certain lifestyle i think they can get into a lot of podcasts i think i need to be able to know what know what i'm getting out of a podcast before i listen to it or i have to be in the right mood mm. and most of the time i'm in the mood to be listening to music and i don't really know of any other and like I I quite like like the New Zealand music scene so like I think that this podcast in particular interests me because it's a lot of the musicians that I um love what they're making and um I want to know more about their process and because it's so familiar to me I think Mm. I have more like interest in like the New Zealand on air podcast just wanted to hear everything just could not wait to hear that one um so yeah, really, really enjoying listening. General podcasting, maybe not so much. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, that just like people do not have enough time in their day for the content that everyone is producing. 
Yeah. I think like Anthony Tonin talked about it of being like, it's actually to have someone turn up to your stuff and to someone to give their time to what you're doing. You, you, you better be fucking doing what you can to make it good either uh, or else you're kind of not, you're cheapening how um, awesome it is for someone to actually give them your time because there's so many fucking other things they could give their time to. Yeah, a lot, a lot of content in this world, an yeah. overwhelming amount. <laughs> and also like so many TV shows yeah. and movies and I'm a big fan of those. And TV's really good yeah. in general. At the I like moment. switching my brain off to like bad TV. What's your favourite, what's your go-to bad TV at the moment? Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, right, <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. I've been watching Too Hot to Handle. Oh, yeah. People, I can't do reality TV. Okay, right. I want you to take me into a fucked up dystopian universe which is so far from reality oh yeah so far i mean like, we have like the like gulf this. of mexico on fire <laughs> <laughs> the water's on fire now bring me time travel <laughs> please so when do you like when do you find time in your routine to actually write songs then because you it sounds like you we'll get into all the fucking shit you do but like I, that's my question like you're always doing so much mm. when when do in your routine or do you even have a routine like how do you find the time to fucking write any songs bianca um i like the way trash recitals the other day darts was saying the darts, it. One, yeah. darts was saying like they only write songs if a song needs to be written which i think i relate to that a lot like um I think that I don't never really sit down to and be like it's time to write a song. It's like I'll be sitting down and um you know noodling along or I would have been like sitting on an emotion for like a day and be like okay now the song's going to come out of that. Mm. Um I think I think it's very sporadic. Yeah. I don't really have a set schedule. Um I don't really have a set schedule of when I sit down to do things, but very much just like uh, I think my songs in particular, for me, most of the time they're just me processing things that have happened in my lives or other people's lives or something that's got me like riled up, I don't know, angry or not angry, all of those other emotional things. Yeah. I think like I w if I if I write a song and then – um, and then I'll come back to it when I'm feeling like the same way that I was when I wrote that song. Um, like that for me is what, what I like to get out of a song, if that makes sense. Um, so you can't really, there's not really a schedule towards yeah. that, I suppose. Um, but just feeling. Does that make them kind of come in bursts quite a lot? Yeah. Yeah. I'll go for like months without <laughs> writing anything and then I'll have like four songs and, 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 you know a couple of vast afternoons and you don't like you don't like beat yourself up for those kind of dry spells or anything or how do you like deal with those I think I used to um but also like life's busy there's there's a lot going on and I think something that I've sort of come to terms with more and more over the last few years is about like the importance of like the practice of like songwriting but also just understanding what you want to get out of doing something you know if you're going to sit down and do something um like why are you doing it and if you don't do that thing for a couple of months um like that's okay because you're probably sitting down and doing other things or you're looking after yourself um in a way that you haven't been or you know that sort of stuff 
there's my patterns and schedules and life's I mean I'm I like schedules and patterns and those sorts of things but I don't really live by them um in my personal life yeah um I suppose you're kind of talking about intentions yeah yeah I'd like to think that yes intentions sometimes if you sit down with the intention to write a song for the sake of writing a song you're not going to get a good song out of that um and you know like we all know, everything's about the song. And if mm. it's not a good song, no one's going to listen to it, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. You don't have the right intention behind it, you know? Yeah, of course. Maybe. I remember talking to you, like, because I would have met you at Rockwest. Yeah. And then we played a show, Oh Boy, shout yeah. out Oh Boy, played shout a show oh for the two cartoons back in the day. And I think at some point along that we were – just talking, you're like, yeah, I'm off to Wellington. I want to go to Wellington. I want to mm. be in bands. I want to be doing music. Yeah. And it's just been incredible to me to basically see someone kind of just like almost through like sheer willpower. You've arrived at the age of 21, essentially being like embedded into the Wellington music scene from like an administrative point <laughs> to, like, to like a musician point. And now you're touring all the time. This is the second time you're up in Auckland in the last month. Yeah. Like how does – do you ever reflect on where you are now and think what like 18 or 17-year-old Bianca would have thought? Um, I very rarely put things in perspective, <laughs> which yeah. is something that I'm also learning at the moment. It's like I'll just be so invested in like wanting to get somewhere or wanting to do something that I'll forget that I've like made progress, right. you know, like – I think that quite often, it's really easy to feel that um, all of the progress that you're making sort of like after you make that progress disappears, you know, mm. um, because you're past that point. So it's hard to go back and look at what has happened in the road for you to get there. Um, so I think that I can often be like quite hard on myself because I think that maybe I'm stagnating or not doing something the way that I want to be doing it or think that I could be doing more when in actual fact it's like okay no 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 just like just take take a moment take a couple of breaths and chill out and actually like awesome you know Mm. like I think it's it's really nice to think about um the way that like it's really awesome to be like oh yeah like when I was 18 I just wanted to go and do this thing and like what out of that thing that you wanted to do have you actually achieved and I think in the grand scheme of things like where I am now is so like far beyond where I thought I was going to be at this point like I thought I was going to go work in foreign policy by the time that I was 21 and be like I don't know an analyst something like that Um, CIA operative. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thought I would be an agent of Shield. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, then what's what's the thing now that when you're when you haven't got that perspective, you're like, you're you're really focused on like, if I need to get, I want this thing to happen for me, or I'm I'm going here, and that's where I want to go. Like, what is that at the moment? Um, funding. Funding. (laughs) Um, I. I want to grow my audience. No, um, I don't know. I think that, uh, like, realistically, I want, like, I crave, like, respect in a lot of ways. I think that's, like, one of the 
things that I've been thinking a lot about recently is like how one like earns respect in an industry and, and becomes you know known as a person who can get things done and like you walk into a room and like I love a lot of the spaces that I'm in at the moment but I don't feel like I'm maybe necessarily a part of them in the way that I want to be or um and valued or like haven't spent enough time there yet to learn everything that I need to know to be able to be like properly valued within that space um which I don't I don't I don't know is that if I feel like it's a normal like human feeling it's like right now I just want to be able to like prove myself to other people you know well the best person to know your potential is yourself yeah so that's very normal yeah you know, it's harder to like signal and communicate that. Yeah. Because in a way, you're not only playing with what you want to be doing, but you're playing with the expectations and the world views of others that you're mm. trying to uh, appeal to or, or fit into as well. Yeah. I think it's it's funny, um, like coming coming into spaces and like being – young and and quite driven and and like wanting to shake up the game a little bit and change the way that things are being done but then like trying to like justify that the way that you think things should work would actually work when you actually don't have the knowledge and the like past experience to back that up um so I suppose I'm just trying to learn I'm in a big learning space but you know like that attitude used to have a place and we're different um, areas would be set up for essentially what you're talking about is risk-taking. Mm. It's like we're going to let these people with untested but exciting ideas mm. to go and try these untested and exciting ideas without too many consequences yeah. and we'll find that out as opposed to where the situation I feel like we're in now where the establishment is essentially being like we're not – a, we're not going to give anyone any chances to try anything super out there and new, mm. which forces those people to try and compete with the established ideas who can just go, well, you don't have any proof they work. We're like, because you motherfuckers haven't let us try anything. Yeah. Yes. It's, so it's, I, don't, I don't think you'd be the only person who has great, like a lot of excitement, a lot of intentions, feeling mm. trying to work that problem out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's an exciting space to be in because I think that's the like the nice thing about sort of being young and having a lot of energy to give to something. And there's the reason why I decided that I didn't want to go like I did my bachelor's in international relations and then sort of finished that and was like, going to go work in the music industry mm. because this like wasn't ready to go and work in like a policy job where – I had like that fire and like ready to being like, right, gonna like had the thoughts in terms of like the policy realm and was just realizing that I was like, oh, don't really think that I'm in a position to be like a game changer in the foreign policy realm. Like would rather try and like take that energy and that effort and, and do it in music spaces. I feel like there's a lot. No, I know nothing about foreign policy and really politics at all. But I do feel like there's probably a lot more obvious problems or maybe like change to be made in the music industry than there is even compared to like foreign policy. Yeah, and I think like New Zealand's foreign policy has, is pretty it's, – it's stagnant. It's always been stagnant. Like 
we kind of like set up our mind and then haven't changed it ever. Yeah, that, I don't think we've ever changed our mind the, on foreign are we policy. Still, are we talking about foreign policy or the music industry there? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> but like maybe a little bit more potential. I, I mean, I feel like the music industry is probably a smaller space which has a greater opportunity for change. And I think it, it it's the foreign policy doesn't have to really it doesn't have anyone to kind of answer to other than the politicians in a sense and the yeah. politicians only kind of have to answer to the public really yeah um whereas in the music industry everyone has to answer to the audiences because if you don't at the end of the day if you don't sell tickets if you don't do this thing then you know you're gonna probably change yeah so there's a little bit more like chance to to, to change things and prove things should change because there's a straight up economic incentive to kind of yeah, back your ideas, you know? Soft power ex- exports in the music industry. Yeah, there you go. You know, <laughs> I can work my policy job in here too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, so we should say like the, these spaces you're talking mm. about, you're talking about things like Cooper Duper, yeah, which so, you work at. Um, so I work for um, Creative Capital Arts Trust, which does Cuba Duper. Um, New Zealand Fringe Festival and Classical on Cuba, which is a new classical music festival on Cuba Street, would you be would you dope. believe from the name? Um, but, yeah, that's awesome, awesome space to be working in. Um, and then sort of do a little bit of, well, iGum Music Collective and Welcome to Nowhere and then odd weird contracting and, like, um, advancing for shows and um festivals and other things here and there all thanks to jerry from cuba duper just helping him out and all of the other weird things i've i've realized that if you want to work in the music industry you kind of have to just like sign yourself up for everything Mm. for a while you just get get good across the board um or like understand everything across the board if you understand the industry as a whole, it makes a whole lot more sense than, you know, just getting really good at one particular thing within it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, those are the main things and how that long, I'm doing. How long have you been working at essentially that amount? Like, has this just been the last year all of this has kind of come together or two um, years? Yeah. So from around about – so from February last year is when I first started with Cuba Duper. So I, I started like <laughs> a month or so, a month and a half before the event, before it got cancelled, which was like a great time to be, you know, deciding to start and like dive into things, which sounds ironic, but actually, you know, I didn't have enough like skin in the game to actually have any weight, like mm. to have any like real repercussions for like this thing not happening apart from like, learning how to unproduce a massive event and then sort of like the amount of skills gained off the bat from I just like... I haven't heard the term unproduce an event and I like <laughs> that. It's, yeah. Um, which now is like, it's quite, you know, I don't know. I don't know how um, likely it is, but it's also like a good thing to know the amount of work that goes into stopping something is... Yeah. is almost very similar to the amount of work that goes into starting something at that point anyway. Yeah. Um, so February last year, oh, I don't know. I'm if like realistically, 
like journey started back when I was in high school um, and got involved with Auckland Folk Festival mm. and have been somewhat involved in that over the past couple of years. And then when I moved to Wellington and then started getting involved with iGum um, and Welcome to Nowhere. But then February is probably when it was like, okay, I'm going to actually, and I'm, I'm done with the uni now and I'm going to probably try and make a living. Yeah. Um, within the music realm of things that happen in there yeah and in in that kind of midst of all that stuff is there at this point where where you are now kind of a main idea or a main kind of like thought you have on something that could be changed that you're like the most that you spend the most time thinking about um i don't not necessarily i've gotten really into um music um festival management software i spend a lot of time thinking about music uh festival management software because um because of covid haha um <laughs> mercado which was like one of the main festival management softwares went under so like no festivals happening globally so they just like the software just went bust wow. and then all of these festivals were using this major platforms and then like was left sitting like twiddling their thumbs thumbs being like what do we what do we use now um so what does this software do i don't actually know anything about it it's like um it's really boring um it's all of your artist management vendor management volunteer management scheduling like databases um I don't know how to explain it. It's just like I mean, like it, spreadsheets. Everything that one like you know, when you're like organizing an event hmm. or something, you generally tend to use a lot of spreadsheets to like make that work. But it's about consolidating that information into one database. It's like a workflow thing. Yeah, like you know, you've got your like Monday. I don't know what are they called, like project management, that kind of stuff. Um, and then like being able to make 170 contracts and um, itineraries and like pull together a schedule and without having to like reformat all of that information or like, you know, cross-reference your 700 different spreadsheets. Reducing time Mm. um, and energy spent on things that don't pay you a lot of money and you probably aren't spending like, you know, if that makes sense, it's yeah. like it might take you, um, you know, 10 hours to make a certain amount of contracts if you were using spreadsheets. Whereas if you had that all sort of under one software and one system that could spit you out those 10 different spreadsheets and then with their different relevant, 10 different contracts with their different relevant information. I don't, this is it sounds, re- it sounds really helpful for like smaller boutique festivals. Yes. Yeah, that's. So essentially all of those things, most festival management softwares are really, really expensive and they run on a per event basis. Whereas you have small community-based organizations such as Cubadoopers and your iGums and stuff, which do multiple events a year to sort of sustain themselves. Um, And then so... The software doesn't really work 
that well if you're paying $5,000 to use that software for a single event. Mm. Um, and all of the big ones are sort of run on this basis. Um, so I started using like Airtable to try and like configure different templates and set up this festival management context and like um, project management timelines and then, um, you know, use that across multiple events at once um, and then having all of that different information housed in one place. And the idea being is that it's going to reduce the amount of time you're spending on each project, um, reduce the amount of money you're spending to use the platform because it's free, uh, it's very affordable and accessible it's open source um, and you as a small arts organization are actually going to be able to learn how to use it because it's not that complicated and afford to use it therefore you're making your job more sustainable because you're not spending as much time on the things that are, can be really niggly and frustrating um, trying to set that up and get more people onto using that and <laughs> where did this like are you like naturally technologically able or did no you, yeah. god no <laughs> so you've just had to the the, the like so the, did the passion come from like making something more accessible and then the, you had to learn the rest of it like oh well, what's that drive for, to make you get so into that <laughs> into spreadsheets you know like um well you just want shit to work for everyone or well i just i just got really frustrated with using things that were not really that fit for purpose for like what we were actually trying to get out of it. And then I just found something that worked really well. And I was like, why isn't everyone using this? Like, yeah. Why do people not know about Airtable? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And then I was like, oh, God, like surely, surely there's going to be something. I'm also like, I want artists to know how to invoice better. That's something I'm also... <laughs> Something I'm also really passionate about is that someone needs to teach musicians how to do their taxes and how to send invoices and teach them what withholding taxes because working for like a essentially government funded institution that deals with like hundreds of invoices is a part of my job is just like sending emails to people being like hey so sorry do you mind sending me an IR330C and reformatting your invoice for me it's a really awkward thing because people are like what are an I330 like what are these things I think artists should know what they are someone needs to be teaching them I don't know if I'm that person because I can't even say the words properly but um I think you're also already doing it up <laughs> but so You'd think that all, would be... all I'm saying is that I just really want to reduce the amount of time that I'm spending on doing these things that seem really simple so I can spend more time making music. I think that <laughs> might be... Like, I think, it, like, is that maybe probably why I'm so passionate about it? Because I'm like, if I can change this 10-hour job and I might spend, like, the next three years being way into invested about how to, like, you know write scripts to be able to like tag individual band members into their band and then run it through a, a script after I've scheduled an event and then it's going to flag and tell me where the clashes are so I know that I haven't accidentally programmed someone at a performance time when they're actually supposed to be playing in another band in another space at the same time mm. like checking for those mistakes which happens sometimes try not to but um human error 
I'm trying to eliminate <laughs> eliminate human error and these sorts of things. But I'm like, if I can change this really massive job and make it way easier, then I don't have to spend as much time on it and actually spend more time creating music or like you know doing yeah. music orientated things well you've run you've run into like one of the big problems which is like where is any education about any part of the music industry for any musicians yes N- none yeah like N- all the way from like you know it, how to get funding who 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 are the right people for funding how to apply all the way through to like how to get paid for gigs you're doing, mm. taxes like you're talking about. Yeah. It, the actual what we're talking about is like running a business yeah. as a musician. Yeah. And it's really hard for me to like think about that and then think about the fact that a, there's a, a certain segment of the music industry which – profits off the fact it fills the role of uneducated musicians and that's all it does Mm. you know like the kind of like more lower level i'll just like take care of this stuff for you or maybe Mm. i'll get you x y and z and we'll promise a whole bunch of stuff but some of it might happen some of it not the only reason a lot of that exists is because musicians either a can't find the information to figure out they don't need that or can Mm. do it themselves or b uh, like don't care enough to actually try and do it. Like I, I don't want to let musicians off the hook. Like you can email all these places. You can find it out. Mm. You've found it out. Like I found it out. A lot of the successful musicians are the ones who do find it out themselves. Mm. But we've got nothing to lose from making it even easier because the people who aren't going to try still won't try. doesn't matter. But you might actually help. Even if you help one or two more people yeah. who just – didn't, don't have the assertiveness to actually ask and put themselves out there, yeah. but do really care, then that's a win, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love to be in a position where I could just be, like, showing people how to do things, like, better for themselves, you know? Be like, let me just set this thing up for you and then you realise that you're like, oh, this makes this stuff so much easier, so much quicker, um, not that hard, don't need a huge, huge big brain energy to actually get it done. Yeah. Not saying that musicians don't have big brains. <laughs> um, I know lots of musicians with big brains. Um, but, you know, time is money. That's the thing, and I did write about that in, in my newsletter, which was like, the fact that we we suck everyone up into these cities and the housing crisis is so bad, people have to work so much. I think that's an, an, a factor that needs to be put into every single problem mm-hmm. that every young person is facing, no matter whether it's music or anything else in their life. Everyone has to acknowledge the fact that most people are having to work 40 plus hours a week mm. just to like have over half of that money be sucked up by rent to pay where they are. And then they can do the stuff on top of that, like, yeah. which is fucking crazy. Yeah, it, like, uh, yes. Yeah, I, all I all I can say is yes. Like, I'm uh, like looking for a flat at the moment and just soul destroying stuff. Um, housing housing is is soul destroying. I went to a flat viewing the other week where um, it was an awful flat, um, and I went there just to be told by the person like running the flat viewing that like 
housing in Wellington is a privilege and I should just be grateful for what I have available to me and like should take this really bad flat which was probably going to give me health issues Mm. and like just being like just accept it like just accept it this is as good as you're going to get it's hard time to be looking it made which made me quite angry and I very quickly left the viewing before I got my angry face on um because it's been known to happen a few times but um you know just like oh my gosh why why is the world like this why are we absolutely burning ourselves to our core just to like make ends meet I don't know it's so so easy to justify why the car can't be turned around yes exactly completely forgetting that the car's invented yeah it's not real it's not a real car we could just turn the car around because it's not actually real we just imagine we're going in the other direction and it will all happen you know we shut down the country Everyone stayed inside for four yeah, weeks. Everyone was like, oh. So it's, it's, it's really just about like th- that was a very easy thing to do because the idea behind it was so simple and so powerful. Mm. Like we'll, we'll get, you'll get sick and die if you don't stay inside for four weeks and we're going to try and stop that. We'll get sick and die if we keep living the way that we're living in the so moment. It's, it's about, I think it's about really being a bit more ballsy about selling a lot of those issues yeah. and pushing them forwards and just being, and just, you know, no, People can be cynical, but, like, then that's not going to get us anywhere. Yeah. Um, there's obviously a lot of pros of being in Wellington, though, which is why you're there. And I, yes. And having you here, like, it's such a privilege because um, obviously we do this podcast in person. So mm. most of the time it's Auckland people. And yeah. You've, I've been very lucky to have you give me some time before your show tonight, which I'm very excited about because I am so jealous as a person in, in Auckland looking at the scene in Wellington. I, I, it gives me FOMO. And I just, like, for you, like, what is it like being down there in the last, like, two years to where it is now as well? Like, does it is it as exciting as it seems from the outside? I think that, and once again, I'm someone who really lacks to put things in perspective. So being up here in Auckland and talking to people about shows and the city and the way that things are going makes me be like, I... I'm living in one of the best city and the best city in New Zealand and you know given COVID situation potentially one of the best cities for live music in the world right now um there's shows happening all the time there's a whole bunch of really great venues and there's a really strong community backing those shows people show up to them you know people are really invested in the music scene um I've got a lot of thoughts and opinions about them, um, about the way that it operates and, and you know, there's always challenges within um, a city, but, like, all in all, there's so many amazing, wonderful people that I am just so thankful to be, like, within their circles and being able to, you know, all get down and just be playing live music and have people appreciating live music, which is phenomenal. Phenomenal. When we need a um, smaller venue, though, all of our venues are quite big. And for bands that should be playing like 200, 150, 200 capacity shows, uh, playing San Fran and Meow on a regular basis, and then like not actually getting a whole lot out of that because um, then, you know, it's like you get your bands that can sell out San Fran, and then that's not actually, I think, translating throughout the country. 
this is just one of my many tangents about the Wellington music scene. I want to um, hear more of them. Like, they carry on on this <laughs> But, like, yeah, I think that – because we used to have Caroline. Caroline shut down um, and that was, like, 150 ven- capacity venue. So there's actually not really a lot of spaces. And there's Valhalla, which is great, but there's not a lot of spaces for emerging artists who probably shouldn't really be playing San Fran and Meow where, you know – Julie Jacklin, Courtney Barnett, you yeah, know, Stella yeah. Donnelly, they're all going. These are these are our big, big artists. And you have your like very fresh. I think iGums are great because it gives um, you know, emerging bands to have a option to be playing to 400, 350 people on a Wednesday night. No one's really there to actually like engage too much with the music. They're there for like the now six dollar beers and um the balcony and their cigarettes and a fun night out. Um, some people come for the music, which is great. But also I think that like I don't feel necessary I wouldn't feel comfortable playing San Fran and Wellington, but it's like the venue that we've played the most. Mm. We've played it a lot of times for a band that's only been together a year um, where I would feel so much less stressed about playing a 200 capacity venue in Wellington and just like having it sell well and filling out the room and like, you know, coming away from that feeling good than like playing a half empty room because we're not actually big enough to sell 350 tickets. Because what what capacity is Moon at? That's, that's even smaller Moon's, than that. Moon's it's like, like 90 yeah, or like yeah, something yeah. like, like Moon's not big. It's not, when I say we need a small venue, I mean we need like we need like a whammy on Cuba Street mm. because Moon's out in Newtown and it's great, but like room's awkward. Stage is really small. If you're more than a four piece, you're gonna have a hard time fitting on there. Like we've done um, gigs with like recitals and. Um, I've seen like Revolver there before and just like big bands. Wellington's full of big bands. So many, so many horn sections, so much brass. I did notice that at <sighs> Welcome to Nowhere. So much. <laughs> it's because of the jazz school. Not that I don't love it, but it's just like Wellington's obsessed with horns. <laughs> <laughs> Wellington's horny, what can I say? <laughs> Very like it is. Just everyone, it's the jazz school. Not that, like my my bands, like jazz musicians. I'm like, you know, it's all cool. It's, yeah, of course. <laughs> I think I just come come like from Auckland, like growing up. You're like rock music. Where's the rock music? And it's all just like commercial, messy, like indie, um, like a little bit crusty. And, yeah, and then and then like your jazz jazz cats, which I love all of them because like Wellington's such a small little place and you just you just meet you meet the whole scene you become friends with the whole scene and you just have so much love for like everything that everyone else is doing because you see your friends out there just killing it and you have so much respect for them but me prior to moving down to Wellington you'd never catch me listening to music with horns in it but just <laughs> Which is funny because now sometimes I play folk music too and it's just like, <laughs> it's like what is she doing? I heard you throw raves at the folk festival. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was hilarious. It was like my first time being a DJ and just threw a Celtic rave and it yeah. actually popped off so much. And then like the old people at the folk festival told me that I could probably never do it again. Like <laughs> a bunch of complaints being like, this is the folk festival. And I'm like, I'm bringing you into the 21st yeah, century. Yeah, yeah. This is 21st century I'm making century the folk, folk festival cool. Um. Yeah, it's 
that's interesting. That's like a you're so, you've got a real maybe it's just the point in your life that you're at where you've like come you're because you're kind of working in a, in like the machine of the music industry now. It's funny you're like looking at the scene from like a pragmatic point of view. You're like, oh, we need a venue. Instead of just being <laughs> like, you know, like, oh yeah, these are these bands. I like this kind of music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was awesome being at uh, Welcome to Nowhere, which I was very very uh, happy to. Um, be at and play at and shout out to Joel. I'm excited and and the whole team yeah. and Bones and everyone. That was the only I hadn't played live maybe nine months before then. I haven't played live since. Like I was just like, I'll play that one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um and I was kind of just there on my own. Like obviously I know a lot of people, but mm. I was actually kind of every other thing I'd done, I'd been there's a dynamic when you're part of a band and you're touring or you're yeah. at a festival and you kind of just hang out with the band and you always like go and do the things together. Yeah. So I, I actually had a really good time like essentially being a floater, like mm. being on my own. And I got to watch a lot. I watched almost all the bands and it was really fascinating because there was obviously a huge contingent of Wellington bands, mm. but there was the handful of Auckland bands as well. Mm. And there was a real pocket of Dunedin bands too. And it was very interesting to me to see that there was very, very different musical things going on, I would say, in all different cities. And yeah. it was really great being in, uh, having Welcome to Nowhere provide an umbrella to see that kind of stuff. Yeah, I also think, I also think that Welcome to Nowhere, once again, like I, I'm a fan of emerging artists, like um, emerging artists, new New Zealand music, seeing what is coming out of our country is my favorite thing. Mm. Um, and I think that Welcome to Nowhere is one of the only festivals in the country, which is just like, there's no, like, you know, we might have one or two bigger names, but it's not about the headline. It's about the community and it's about showcasing, you know, what New Zealand is creating and what the... Um, I think it's really cool to go there as a Wellington band or an Auckland band or a Dunedin band and then um, being able to go and see what the other bands at your sort of level are all also doing because you make great connect connections for when you're touring. You initially have like, oh, I saw these guys at Welcome to Know Where they played when we were playing. Um, mm -hmm. When you're touring, you've already built like friends from that experience and then um, – just like the overwhelming sense of like community and it's just a group of people who just love New Zealand music and it's not like New Zealand music quotation mark in the sense of what is being broadcasted and what's getting played on the daily. It's actually like these are what your creatives are doing um, and this is like the backbone of the New Zealand music scene in my opinion and that's that's why I love being involved with the festival so much because I think it, it really showcases something that isn't being showcased in any other part of the country. The other real important thing of it is all the, like you said, emerging New Zealand bands, they're getting probably played on their student radio network in their city. They may be playing a few support slots around. Mm. But often they're not taking themselves off and doing national tours. And even if they are, you're only going to meet a few people while you tour. Mm. Welcome to Nowhere is so important for me because it holds that space of 
the actual a physical space over a three-day period that the that a certain segment of the New Zealand music industry can actually intermingle mm. and meet one another and take and see each other's ideas and grow and evolve. Yeah. Because yeah. the top gets that all the time at like their fucking song hubs and their like, you know, big music festivals where they hang out in the barbecue section and drink their like pals or whatever. But you don't often get to see like night lunch hanging out with Dick Move and like all you know, le- yeah. learning from all one another. Yeah, it's so important because you just it's not the same over the internet. We can all DM one another, we can all do yeah. those things, but it's just not the same as kicking it for three days, seeing each other play, yeah, talking to one another. Love that. That's the only reason I have the podcast so I can actually be like, oh, now I get to hang out with people, yeah, yeah, and do that shit. Like, yeah, and it was funny, like Wellington bands. This was my takeaway. Mm-hmm. Wellington bands really on grooves right now. Yeah. Really like a long song and re- like I'm saying like four to six minutes was yeah. kind of the standard. Yeah. And there was like kind of almost like a groove slash riff battle going on as opposed to like who can have the best kind of climactic groove or riff going on. And that only became apparent to me when Dick Move played on I think maybe the first official night, maybe the f- Saturday night. Yeah. And every one of their songs is a minute and 12 seconds or like a minute. And I was like, oh, my God, a, a short song. I was like, oh, my God, every song I've heard before, this has been like really long. I, I really love a, a really long song, but it's it, it was that point where I was like, I wouldn't have noticed these differences within the cities without being at a place like this festival right now. So I really appreciated that. I think I think there is... Like, the cities do cultivate different sounds. Absolutely. Because it's just, like, what's popular within... And they're isolated. We don't get to mingle much. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which is, I think, really... It's really interesting because it's like, oh, what if you're... Like, it, it almost becomes, like, out of place if you're a band in one of those other cities and you're making music that doesn't quite fit with what that city is like sort of projecting it. Well, that was two cartoons in Dunedin. Yeah. We were an Auckland band in Dunedin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're like, what do I do with this? Go and play in Dunedin a bunch. I mean, in Auckland. Which they, like BFM started Mm. playing us. And so we would just come and play in Auckland and Radio 1 didn't really play us at the start. No one really wanted to play with us in Dunedin. So we just traveled to Auckland all the time. I find it really interesting because currently like based on my like Spotify statistics. Bianca is putting um, rabbit ears in the Rabbit ears. So you know. spot- I, like, I don't know what my Spotify statistics really mean, but like it's it's what trying it to mean? tell it's <laughs> trying to tell me that like 80% of my listenership is based in Auckland. And right. I don't but like I'm like is that because I was like born I was born here, but I feel like I definitely like evolved as a musician more in Poniki. Um, so I don't know. I don't don't know if that means anything. I, I, I tend to think Spotify numbers don't mean anything until they're like nice and and until essentially they just confirm other things you find out from other places. Yeah. Like two cartoons got like 800,000 plays on a song that we put out when we were in England and nothing changed, you know? And I was like, ah. Up and before that point, I was like, oh, numbers on Spotify mean something. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, numbers on Spotify mean something to certain people. Yeah. And those certain people are only going to care about making those numbers go up. Yeah. But they do care about them. So you can kind of, they're good for that, I guess. Yeah. 
but nothing i haven't really noticed any of that any of that change essentially it's not something it's something that i would be dubious as to tell someone to really focus on yeah i think that's the thing is that i like i i get real like and like I get really fixated on like wanting to be moving forward and wanting to grow. And that's like when I fail to put things in perspective for myself because I'm like, Spotify numbers, like well, what? No one in Wellington cares about me. Well, I think it's really this. tough for someone. Uh, we've talked about all the time. I think it's really tough for someone like yourself because there's not necessarily good there's not very clear next steps and next goals for you to mm. aim for that would give you that thing. Like I'm about to maybe enter a void. Void FM. Yeah. Because like, and it seems, you know, it seems like if that area captures like 80% of the music scene and then you've got to fish around for a while until you get maybe like a, um, Aotearoa Music Award nomination or whatever, and then like suddenly you've popped out into the other the top end. Mm. But like it seems like everyone who pops out at the other end are like, well, what the fuck happened? Like I didn't really yeah. change anything I was doing. Something yeah. just happened. It's tough. It, it's really tough for you. I think my advice would be more to like really try and decide your own. Sit down and try and decide your own goals or negotiate with yourself. Yeah the most uh, internally able to be controlled metrics for what you want to be, uh, how you're going to gauge your own success moving forwards, you know? Yeah. I think also just like at the end of the day, it's about like I think that I often like maybe lose sense of the idea, like the reality that like at the end of the day I'm making music because – I want to be making music and that like get and I think what's really hard about working like within the industry and also like trying to succeed within the industry is you forget that the reason why you're in it in the first place actually has nothing to do with how successful you are within that space. Um, like, which what, is, what's your happiest memory of, 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 of your musical career so far? Just hanging with the homies, making some tunes. Like, um, I don't know if I have one particular memory that stands out for me, but like, I, I love, like, I, I love, I love band practices. You know, like, <laughs> you fucking nerd. Which, like, <laughs> like, it sounds ridiculous, and like, I can hear my band like listening to this and being like. Mm, are you sure? Mm. Like, are you like being like, I you grumpy? And I'm like, no, but actually, like, it's one of the most like I will come out of a band practice every time feeling so refreshed and so like, oh, like, yeah, great mood. I could be in the most awful, like grumpy mood, bad headspace, and not want to be going into that band practice, but doing it anyway and coming out of it on the other side so grateful that I just did that because I just you know like playing music mm. writing music bringing a new song to the group and like like I think also with how it is like with me writing songs and then and then bringing that song to the group and then hearing it evolve for the first time to what I heard it as in my head and actually being able to like hear that out loud 
is just like the greatest feeling and that's got nothing to do with like success within the music industry that's just why we're doing what we're doing you know so and that's something that's completely able to be controlled by you as well yeah which is the safest healthiest thing yeah. to actually have is the thing you like yeah yeah absolutely so like just trying to remember to like put things in perspective and you're like you might not feel like you're going anywhere or, or you don't really know where you're supposed to be going or you don't know why you're doing this but actually you do know why you're doing this and at the end of the day if all you're doing is playing music with a bunch of people who are essentially part of your family now like and that makes you really happy that's so freaking cool <laughs> like, it's so freaking cool so man cool. you know yeah. 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 That's really sweet. Yeah, it is really sweet. <laughs> I like I give my band a lot of shit. I give I give them a lot of shit, but also like they're they're a part of my band because they like my music is so very like um like reflective of like my emotions and what I'm going through and what I'm feeling and and these guys are actually the ones who've like been alongside a lot of those like emotions and feelings and like I lived with Harry for a couple of years which was probably the most you know you know your first couple of years flatting is one of a very um defining moment in your life maybe or there's something a lot of, of the sorts there's a lot of learning and like <laughs> and he's been there the whole time and 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 James and Ethan as well James uh Ethan who I started playing in Sog when I first moved down to Wellington as well so like you know, they've they've been alongside that whole like process of like growth, growth and evolution of like my musical journey and whatever I'm doing with my life and like having them as part of that because they've been alongside me with that is like something that's really quite special for me. Yeah. It must help feeling it must help with the feelings of like being grounded and feeling safe and feeling supported. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like uh, yeah, I think I would find it hard to be like fronting a band and being on stage if if they just sort of weren't didn't have any sort of concept of where those songs might have originated from or like from what I was going through in that point of time, you know. So cool to have them alongside and to have them making music with me. Does it? Ever, do you ever feel like fuck? I don't want to put. I, I like. Do you ever arrive at times in your life again? Be like, I don't actually want to play this song that I've written because it's a bit too close to home right now or is it or is it or is in the process of writing it that's the process of it and now you're completely fine with that I think the song comes to as the like conclusion of that right the like the song the song comes at the conclusion of that and um it's like the it's the it's the moving forward for me. It's like okay, you've written the song now. Yeah, cool. And if and then the songs become comforting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Some I have like I have one. I think I probably have one song that um, I don't play. Sometimes I don't want to play it, not because it's cl too close to home, but it's just like just like not today it's a whole thing yeah it's like a whole thing it's like <laughs> I like it was quite funny like trying to like explain sometimes like trying to explain to people and you're like I don't want to play this song they're like oh it's a great song and you're like not today yeah. not today yeah um we've got a little bit of time left and uh I I have just remembered that you wanted to talk about Amanda Palmer <laughs> 
I only What laugh. did you want to say I, about I, Amanda I Palmer? I don't really know what I wanted to say about Amanda Palmer, but I mean, well, so and we, well, we were talking about like, you know, the other things that I maybe like started doing when I first emerged into deciding that I was going to work in the music industry. And one of those things was assisting, assistant like producing on the Amanda Palmer shows at St. Peter's in Wellington. And I had never assistant produced on a show before. And I didn't realize that that included like hard boiling eggs backstage at five o'clock in the afternoon when I was, uh, I just had a really difficult time working on that show, I think. I I don't think I'm a fan of Amanda Palmer. Or like, not as a, I just, I don't know what I wanted to say here. I brought it up because I, you know, this was me trying to engage on Twitter. And I was like, I actually don't think I want to just come and talk shit about Amanda Palmer on the podcast. I love that. Um, I... I had to drive back to my house at like five o'clock in the evening after hard boiling a whole bunch of eggs. As a vegan, I'm not a fan of hard boiling eggs, just so you know. But um, just to like drive back to my house and then take all of my clothes off my clothes rack and then bring it back in my car to put it in her dressing room so that she could put her clothes on a clothes rack because there's no clothes rack in the dressing room. She came out on stage in jeans and a T-shirt and I was really offended because all of my not jeans and not T-shirts were now on the floor of my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. That seems pretty par. Uh, yeah. Pretty par High maintenance show. Yeah. 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 I, 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 it's, she, she's a fascinating figure. I find her incredibly fascinating because this is not the only story I've heard. And, and it's not like she's going around like beating people in alleyways. No. Um, it's kind of in many ways probably a story of like a complete culture shock between American celebrity and New Zealand psyche and, and pragmatism. Yeah. But also that almost like she must be aware of that narrative but yeah. she doesn't seem she just plows onwards and, and she's also incredibly smart at the music industry side of things and the business side yeah. of things which is incredibly fascinating but then the things she uses those vehicles to do are so boring but like also so i went to while i was working on these shows went to a um like you know she gave a she gave a talk to young artists about you know how to better themselves in the music industry um and like the like pinnacle of the talk was like buy my book you know sort of thing and like you know work on your alternative like revenue streams create a patreon by the way sign up to my patreon like pa patron patron is that what they you are? Can say both i think yeah one of those things but um like it was <laughs> it was one of those things where it was like here are some slightly useful bits of information great um, click here to find out more. Which reminds me a lot of the YouTube music grifter kind of like thing. I don't know if yeah. you would get onto that kind of Ultimate stuff. Ultimate guitar like tutorials and it'll show you like the first 30 seconds of the song and then you're like, but you want to learn the whole song, mm. purchase this tutorial? Is yeah. that what you meant? we're meaning? Yeah. yeah. And then there's like there's like whole YouTube channels where it's like a, uh, the tw how to release the a 21 – day release plan for your song in mm. 2021 and it's like here are some tips or if you want to know more you know sign up for the newsletter like go and do you know 
buy my thing and I'll show you how to market your music. Always buy people who I have not really done the things that they're selling you the way to, yeah. to do. I will say that's starting to change, I think, with Twitch and streaming and musicians, established musicians actually adopting that. Kimbra. Kimbra. Have you have you tuned in with what Kimbra is doing at I'm, the moment with all of I've, her stuff? I've, I'm familiar with it, but I yeah. don't watch. Yeah. Neither. I do not watch either. But I think Kimbra is one of those artists who, if I did decide that I wanted to like gain access to that information, I would probably listen to the way to Kimbra because she's done it. Which in some regards, like, you know, Amanda Palmer has done these things too. And here she is being like, this is how you might get successful and like that kind of stuff, which like, you know, she's clearly successful. But, Kimber- but I like Kimbra's music. Kimbra isn't lot. running a revenue stream on promising the information on how to become Kimbra. Yes. That's the difference. That's the difference. We could Kimber- go to Kimbra. Yeah. <laughs> you should get Kimbra on the podcast if you wanted to get some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. Kimber yeah. would be great. I don't, uh, she might come on. Uh, and, you know, Liam Finn's now writing his next album live on Twitch. I don't know if you know True. about that, but that's fucking crazy. He's like doing two Twitch streams a, a week, just jamming his own his own music, and then he's going to record it live at Roundhead, cool. which is fucking wicked. And like that's people mean. like Disclosure, um, like showing like this is how I made like energy, and and like here's the project. I file would watch that. It's it's like really starting to happen. I think it kind of one of my big big ideas is that in the age of the internet and social media and technology. And things like yourself, simplifying shit down mm. for like, so less people can do it in less time. The power of the artist grows more and more and more because you can essentially be your own interviewer, your own media um, PR person. You can, you can fucking do anything that the music industry does. You could essentially do that as an artist and you would have more authority. Mm. People would care more about what you say because they could actually point to you and be like, they're actually doing it. Whereas all those roles at the moment, pre-internet, pre-now, are filled by people who aren't really artists. They're just straight industry people. Yeah. And also the the respect, I think, I th- like also on top of that, on another note, like there's just so many rotten people in our music industry. And like I have so much more respect for respect for artists who can just go ahead and do things not saying that there aren't a lot of great people in our music industry but right now so much coming to light so much that just makes me feel sick to my stomach and would make other people feel just like very angry very angry very hurt and just like not a space that people want to be working in and engaging in on in a broader in a broader sense and like you know, if the power can stay with the artist, all the better because it means that, you know, things aren't getting, when you know, not so dependent on these massive, um, organ, massive sort of um, capitalist organisations um, that are here to just make money and exploit people. Um, it was yeah. hard. It was hard to hear Jeff say that the biggest challenge and thing they wanted to change was to bring more, you know, women into the music industry and not be like, you want to bring, like, women into this music industry? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Without referencing that? Yeah. You, 
like because it's not it's not going industry. well now. Yeah, in a sense. You, but we want to come in, come on in. It's the water's fine here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that 100%. It's like, yes, we want to bring more mu- women into the music industry, but we should be bringing them into a safe industry. And things have seriously, people got to pick up their freaking game, you know. Um, otherwise, like, why would you, why would you want to, why would, why would you want to, grow as an artist in a space which is very unsafe mm. for not only women but like but minorities for um for trans gender people i cannot it like yeah it breaks my heart it breaks my heart a lot and um you know why why would we want to bring women into the music industry when it's such a terrifying place but you know let's try and make it safer let's make it a safer space and make it an industry that we can be proud of because um, that would be amazing. And in, and in the meantime, while that's working on it, I, and I said this, I had, you know, Shaq on from Filth mm. and and I said this to Kedu Carlo as well mm. where I was like, I am so surprised that there aren't more explicit parties and promoters and venues who just – in the meantime, not as like a forever thing, but mm. it's like just until we fix these prob- problems, just until we actually work out what to do mm. sustainably about a lot of these problems in the culture, um, what I would call backstage, the backstage culture mm. of the music industry, the backdoor culture. Um, this this promotions organization and this space and this party is going to be um, by women for women. Mm-hmm. This space is going to be by these people for these people. And yeah. we don't want to have to be segmenting ourselves off like this. Yeah. But we need uh, – right now it's a necessity. Mm. And this is a sign that things aren't right. Mm. And we want to work towards br- being able to feel safe to not have to do this. Yeah. But I'm so surprised. Like, shout out to She Productions. I don't know if they're doing anything. Is it Tia, right? Tia. I, do, I don't know if anything's happening at the yeah. moment. But that was – something that I was like, that's a really encouraging, that's something I, I would mm. think is a really good idea in the moment right now. Yeah. Like it's not a vision for the future in a sense, but I, I see the necessity in it now. Yes. You know what I mean? 100%. Yeah. Um, I think, and She Productions, Peach Promotions is, um, if, if you saw the um, Sophia McRae, um, shout out Sophia. Shout out Sophia. Big Sophia fan, actually. Yeah, she's incredible. She and also her friend Sophie run Peach Promotions in Wellington, which is by women, for women. Cool. Um, one of the, I think, few promotional arms in Wellington who are actively seeking um, headlining shows like w- women in headlining shows, um, headlining shows in the city, doing incredible work. Um, and I, wanna, I want people to pay attention to those organisations the same way that they pay, pay attention to all the other, you know, indie scene um, promotional arms because the boys get a lot of attention. And I feel like it's like, from my perspective and where I'm standing, I feel like there are a lot of, um, these sorts of promotional arms, um, women in this like indie scene who are working 
their butts off um, and sometimes maybe don't seem to be getting the same respect and recognition that their male counterparts are. Specifically, I mean, speaking in our like Wellington scene at the moment, that's what I think like one of the core issues are. And like not saying that the people who are running these these events and these and are operating in these spaces don't consider themselves like feminists or like doing good work. Um, but I think they do like the bare minimum. Um, and I think that there could be a lot more. And like I don't how do you get how do you get audiences to to care about things that aren't just like shows for the homies and the boys. I don't know. I don't think the hard thing at the moment is I think you 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 can't do it with the same expectations. Yeah, yeah. In some way, the expectations of what a what the audience should be is going to be different because there's a different purpose and different intention yeah. behind it. So it can't. It, it's not a oranges to oranges comparison in terms yeah. of like of of what you can look at to see like like in terms of media and reach, which yeah. is I think why at the start, because you'd say we're kind of at the start of yeah. figuring this stuff out. Yeah. I think that just as the health, it's, it's always best to put health at the start of, the, yeah. of things. And I just yeah. think is it, because it wouldn't matter if you didn't, if you, all these female led, if say you had an entirely like minority female lineup, if, the audience was like raucous and no one had fun and the and and everything still didn't really feel that safe. Yeah. It's a bit backwards. I think that's a bit of the capitalist thing slipping in there. Yeah. Of we are but we're still chasing success. We just want success that's slightly safer on capitalist terms. And like on on that note, and and that's the same thing with going with like your um your festivals and your and your ticket sales and and major festivals not having the same male to, like male to female minority um sort of ratios um because at the end of the day they're capitalist um, ventures and they're going to program what will give them ticket sales and. You know, this I I am a someone who is very frequently talking about major festivals um, not having equal, diverse, representational lineups, um, and that's like coming back to it is because, like, I'm a little bit like sporadic and all over the place. But um, some of my favorite shows that I have played are the ones that have been run by Peach Promotions, which have been run by um, To The Front, Girls Rock, Aotearoa. And I would say that they don't sell as well. They do not sell as well as these other shows, but the audience that comes up, that turns up to these events, show, like they care. They care. They're here to listen to your music and what you've got to say and you're in a safe space. And it feels so rewarding to like walk away from that show knowing that you've just played to people who are actually invested in what you have to say. So if we're able to start doing that from a like smaller perspective, why are not these major festivals um, are like, oh, but, you know, I can't find the, um, you know, big... Uh, dub roots um, female act that's going to have the same reach as 660 and LAB. I don't know. I tend to not really listen to um, 
660 in LAB and um, broadcasted popular music that much. So I'm a little bit out of touch, um, we'll say. Um, sorry. Um, but they're not booking the female acts because they don't think they'll sell enough tickets. Unless you're Lord and you can put one female on your first announce- announcement and have the rest not because you've got Lord and one is just enough. It's just, it, I'm like, it's not, people just not willing to, to go back into this. Um, like maybe you need to take a step back and not think so capitalist about these issues and not worry so much at about your ticket. At least at the start. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. We're, 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 yeah. In many, in many ways, people are very accurately describing the immense problems in the music industry while at the same time not allowing themselves the time and the effort to to go into what it takes to solve immense problems. Yeah. Like, and it's not going to – those things tend to start at the start and end at the end as opposed to just trying to force the end, you know. It's going to require um, – and it's it, it, – it's not that it's going to require. If you do it from the start, mm. building safer spaces so the audience feels safe, mm. they have great times, you know, they see the worth of the vision mm. as opposed to maybe just in, just off the top of my head, say we did get a Rhythm and Vines that had e- the exact lineup you wanted mm-hmm. and maybe that brought someone to RMV who doesn't feel usually represented at festivals. So, mm. But, oh, my God, look at this lineup. I'm actually going to go to RMV. Mm. But the same crowd turns up to RMV and they have a horrible time because everyone's yeah. on pingers and throwing up in the fucking, yeah. you know, passing out all over the place. They're going to be like, oh, I hate this. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it, it it's it is about the lineups and it is about this thing, but it's about changing the entire culture for yeah. the audience. Yeah. So it starts with everything small for the audience. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Anyway, I think we solved yeah. that. So <laughs> I think. Um, I feel like yeah. <sighs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna go. You know, to play some rock music with some gal pals tonight. It's I'm be great, so excited to I see you. Also, have your Dale bi- Kerrigan biannual blowout. Dale Kerrigan being and Sean's B day tonight, which will it was great. I didn't know Being was playing. Yeah, is Being playing? Being's playing. Oh, Jasmine's around. Yeah, fuck it's yeah, be awesome. Sick. I'm excited. I'm even more excited. Well, I put it, thrown it on for my biannual blowout. <laughs> I love it. I love it I saw that and I was like, cool. Yeah, I'm almost thirty. I don't go out. I mean, fear. Fear. <laughs> yeah. I will. And then, you but know. I'm, I'm honoured. I'm honoured that yeah. you're going to stay to, to all the way to Cranking the I'm, 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 I'm heading to the daffodils <laughs> flat after this. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, it all kicks off loose for those guys. Yeah, yeah, they're good fun. Do you have any plugs? Um... You- well, I suppose. Well, but when next was week, this coming well, out? Well, next weekend you're you're is when you're playing in the South Island, right? Yeah, so next unfo- weekend. Unfortunately, is... you would have already played. Um. Oh, I heard you're going to be at Parrot Dog's tenth birthday. Parrot That's Dog's tenth birthday. Woody Donna. Yeah. Yeah. King I'll be there. Sweeties, um, Silicon. Silicon. Yeah. Woody Soft Donna. Plastics. Soft plastics. Yeah. Michael. L- I've. That's the one I didn't know. Luton, maybe. Luton. No. I know, Sorry, I know, I know who he is, and I know he makes some pretty cool music. Sick. But I'm unfortunately going to 
I have forgotten the, how to pronounce <laughs> your last name. Um, yeah, that, I don't know, we'll be releasing. Uh, we've got a single on the way. Something rock and, and roll coming for us. Got, oh, it's going to be large and loud. Well, thank you so much for yeah. being here, Bianca. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Finally. We've been trying to do this yeah. for ages. Yeah. I, I appreciate just like being able to sit and just, just rant. Sorry, I've been in the fight for so long. Oh, anyway, that's Harko Meets Humans. I held that for your benefit, listeners. I hope you know. Um, and a new episode every Sunday. Go stream Woody Donna. Yay. 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 Oh. Yay. That worked. Look, you killed it.